Look at your neighbor and say, I'm coming out. Just tell them I'm coming out. Look at it one more time and declare with boldness. Say to them, you're coming out too. How many believe that? How many believe it's time for us to come out from where we've been? God did not bring us out, all the way out, to leave us here. He desires to bring us and take us all the way in. Somebody say amen. And I declare this morning that you're coming out of your debt. You're coming out of poverty. You're coming out of your lack. You're coming out of sickness. You're coming out of loneliness. You're coming out of not enough. Everybody shout, it's my season. Shout this, say it's time for the God of heaven to answer by fire. Now shout to the God of heaven. Come on. I wish you that are watching out there could feel what we feel in here. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Elijah was not one to mince words. Elijah spoke as it was. He was the first strong prophet. Real, there were many strong prophets, but he was the first really audacious type of bold prophet, Elijah was. And, and, um, and he, was having, he was having a showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount, Mount Carmel, the Bible talks about it. And he says, you think your God's powerful? Bring your God and I'll bring mine. Let's meet together and let's have an offering and we'll see whose God's more powerful. The one who answers by fire is the God that is the most powerful God. Well, they did everything. They had their sacrifices. They put it on the altar. They did what they could. And they're out there. They're cutting themselves and letting blood flow because that's what they did in those days. Let blood flow and they're screaming and screaming and screaming and shouting at heaven. Nothing. Nothing. The more they yelled, the more they cut, the more they tried to sacrifice, nothing happened. And oh, Elijah's laying down on a rock watching the whole thing, laughing and saying, that's all you got? Well, let's not be too hasty. Maybe your God's on a vacation. That's what he says. Or maybe your God is going to the bathroom. That's what he says. And that, in that time in Hebrew, he uses words. And, and, they, and then of course, they know they're being mocked. He says, watch this. And he goes and gets the sacrifice, lays it upon the altar, binds it upon the altar. Then he digs, digs a ditch around the altar, fills the ditch with water, pours water all over the sacrifice. You've got nothing but a water bath and a sacrifice. And God, he begins to pray the, the words. He begins to cry out to God and say, God, you are the God who answers by fire. And when he said that, the Lord sent fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, licked up all of the water. There was nothing left dry in that altar. Somebody say amen. And it's time for some dry altars to get the fire of God. Come on. I said it's time for the dryness of the church to go. And the altars of God be filled with the fire of God once again. Where is the Lord God of Elijah to come and burn the sacrifices? Let it burn, God. Hallelujah. And I want to remind you that we are in the middle of the atonement season. And next season we're going to celebrate atonement together and worship and and we're going to bring our sacred offering to God. Father, we love you so very much. We're honored by your presence. Help me to get through the things that you've spoke to me today, Lord God. Well, obviously, we're going to get through what we get through. Anoint it, bless it. Uh, as I've tried to prepare it, Lord God, you have a different preparation system. We want to flow with you today. And all Lord, we do, Lord God, we honor you and give you praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Everybody said a big amen. 
There are prophetic events that always begin to unfold during God's feast days. We talked about feast days, and one of those times can be Passover, another time is Pentecost, and then another time is this season right now called atonement. Prophetic events happening during this time usually happen not only just on a personal level, which they do. They do happen on a personal level. So we should, we should be getting prepared for some personal um, uh, things that begin to happen in our lives that begin to explode in our lives, but also on a national uh, stage and a global stage. You, you understand. So it's not just a prophetic thing that happens to us personally, but also maybe in our nation and then across the entire world. Well, of course, we just had some events happen, but one of the bigger ones, we had um, this Hurricane Ian that, that uh, they say is one of the biggest ever to hit Florida. It hit nearly the entire state. I think it just left out the panhandle. But um, people are praying, and we need to continue to pray for people who still outages and things. But I don't think it's near as bad as they thought it was going to be. But and nonetheless, terrible. I have family there. You may have family there. Um, friends, uh, church, um, uh, churches that we're in relationship with are there as well. And so um, thank God we haven't heard any deaths from our side, hopefully none from yours. But, um, in fact, we, we see this. And what, why, why is that? It's like almost something, you know, gets the attention of man. The Bible says first the natural, then the spiritual. So we, that's why prophetically we can line things up and go, okay, well, God must be saying something here. Now, did God cause the hurricane? I don't believe he caused a hurricane at all. I'm, just, I'm simply saying to you that there are, there are events that take place, whether a, it's a volcano that may go off or an earthquake that might happen or some sort of tsunami that gets the attention of of the world, right? And um, this, of course, was one of those type of attention getters. So, um, but we pay attention to those things. And I, I, I hesitate to prophesy what I want to say. I think I'm going to do it on Thursday night. There's something in my spirit that I would like to address that the Lord began to put in my heart about Hurricane Ian. And I will do that on Sunday. Let's do that on Sunday. Um, but again, because of that event, God will link things into the spirit of what's taking place or what's about to take place. So, we prophetic people, we pay attention to those things. By the way, how many people are still practicing your tongues, your prayer, praying in the Spirit? Those of you that got filled with the Holy Spirit, how many of you already feel, but you've been practicing anyways? You've been doing it for years. Keep it up. Keep it up. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, there's always opportunity for that. Uh, but keep it going. Keep your prayer language going. Get stronger and stronger in that. Um, so the priest church, the priest blew the shofar in Israel last Sunday at sundown, their sundown, uh, signifying the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of the creation of man. It is, in fact, a feast day or a holy day to God. And are you ready for this? This is so cool. We are right now, you and I, as believers in Christ, of the household of God, we are right now living in the future. Whoa. Can you feel it? We're living in the future. How can you say that? Well, we're living in the future compared to the rest of mankind. The rest of mankind will celebrate a new year when? January 1, 2023, right? That will be the new year. With God, he established the first new year in the time of atonement. So right now, happy new year, by the way, everybody. Happy new year. Last week was, was, the, was the turning of God's calendar. In other words, it was.
It was God's January 1st last week, okay? And we celebrate this out for 10 days and then to Sukkot as well. But, but, so, but what I'm saying to you is we are right now three months and a week ahead of the rest of the entire world who knows not Christ. That means God gives us opportunity to see and do and be and even understand things to come before they ever get there. God doesn't want us to be caught by surprise. He wants to live with us to live with him in a prophetic way so we can understand how God is what God's doing, understand how he does it and be prepared. You know, God wants us to be prepared. The last part part of, of manifestation is preparation. Once you find find yourself getting prepared, that's when manifestation comes into your life. Somebody say amen to that. Another word for another time, but I want to get you sight about this. You're, you're now pressed in to a time where God has opened this portal, if you will, for us to begin to live in the future by three months at least. And then God will do it again when at Passover we'll step into another new season. God has two new years in the new years. Why? He is a redeeming, all-merciful God. He's always trying to give us a restart and a reboost. Amen. And on God's seasonal calendar, the year rolled in the Hebrew calendar to 5783, if you would like to know that, 5783. Israel has been celebrating Rosh Hashanah for 3,135 years now. Uh, Just last week, um, we talked about atonement being observed in the new covenant. Uh, We found out that, that Jesus... Uh, celebrated Rosh Hashanah. We all know that, right? He he celebrated his his whole life. He celebrated Passover. We know that for a fact as well because he went and prepared the upper room or had the guys do that and they had their, their bread and their wine there and their last supper together. That was in the time of Passover. Rosh Hashanah would have been would have been another time that we see uh, where, where it's the time of atonement and and it and, and he would have celebrated that. The disciples all celebrated Rosh Hashanah. The apostles uh, Apostle Paul celebrated Rosh Hashanah past the death of Christ and of course the early church over 320 years up until the time of Constantine he was the first one uh, to um, to um, he was the first one to stop the whole uh, ceremonies and celebrations of the Hebrews right and it was of course the church was celebrating up until that time nobody told them to stop nowhere in scripture does it say to stop now we understand we're not under the old covenant. We're under a better covenant, the new covenant, praise God. We don't kill lambs and bulls anymore, but, but we now have Jesus. And so we still, in spirit, we celebrate the time and the season. That We do it in spirit, the spirit of what, the way God set it up, but not the natural laws. Um, or there may be a dinner, or there may be the, the booth that they set up, and they, they go into those booths, and they, they wait for the harvest. Not, not like that, but in the spirit of what we're talking about. It's a, it's a restoration of those things. I'm hoping I'm not losing you. I know it's Sunday morning, but I want you to stay with Everybody understand so far? So this is a certain thing that God has set up in his, in his word. Um, and um, I just read, somebody sent me an article and I think it's true uh, that they sat down with all these different uh, ministers from different religions uh, to write a pact together uh, so they could have basically, basically what it comes down to is they want peace amongst the religions and it's one step closer to having a one world religion. Well, that's exactly what Constantine did. And he wanted to have everything meld into one so he changed all the dates. 
And that's exactly what took place. And so we've been doing it that way for all these years. In fact, we know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. That was a Constantine thing. I'm not against the celebrating December 25th at all. I think it's great that the world celebrates Jesus' birth, even though Jesus is going, oh, hey, guys, uh, you're a little late. I mean, mine was back in September, October, because that would have been the time. He would have been born during the time of atonement. When he comes back, it will be the time of atonement. How do you get that? Well, there's plenty of scripture that provides that. Uh, first of all, we know that the Bible calls it the, uh, it is the feast of trumpets. When Jesus returns, it will be with the blast of the trumpet of the archangel, and Jesus will return for his saints, and we'll be with him in his second coming. Somebody say amen. Isn't that wonderful? So we know that it's, there's, you say, well, no man knows the day or the hour. Absolutely. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but we can know the times and the seasons, the Bible says. Amen. So that's a pretty powerful thing. Again, Rosh Hashanah moves right into Yom Kippur, which happens uh, this week, and Yom Kippur begins the, the atonement season. Yom Kippur means atonement. And then you move right from that to Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T, which uh, 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 starts, right after, starts right after Yom Kippur is finished, and it means the celebration of the harvest to come. So we're, we're not done with this. We're going to now move, move into a place where we go, okay, now we must begin to celebrate by faith the seeds that we have sown. There's a harvest that's coming from those seeds. Seeds will be sown this week. We're sowing seeds of uh, repentance. We're sowing seeds of getting things right with God. Um, uh, next Sunday, we are going to sow our offering seed, our, our, our annual offering seed to the Lord. These are all things. And now we go into Sukkot, waiting for the harvest to come. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, is called the Days of Awe because God does awesome things during this time. Or it's known as the Time of Atonement. So these are considered God's holy days. Everybody say holy days. These days have been set by God as an appointment called a feast. So when you read about a feast in Scripture, it means what? Appointment. appointment. Thank you, sir. Everybody else, it means what? Appointment. appointment. There you go. So that, that doesn't mean chow down feasts, right? We sit there and we, we watch the Super Bowl and we feast, right? That's not what that means. It means an appointment set by God. You set appointments with God many times, but this is God saying, I'm setting my appointment with you, my people. This is a time of celebration, atonement. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of praise. It's a time of giving, and it's a time of repentance. Church, it's time for his people to turn back to God. It's time to get back in his presence. Come on, somebody. Amen. I like it. It's time to get back in his will. It's time to get back in his purposes. It's time to get back in his ways. It's time to get back in his house. Somebody say amen to that. You don't get to do church your way. You don't get to do church. It's not about you. It was never set up for you then to make your rules and do what you want. I love this. I thought about this the other day, and I know this may sound a little bit, you know, uh, snarky or whatever, and, and, and maybe it is, but, but the truth is still there. And that is people say, well, uh, you know, I, 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 they, they meet somebody in the church or they meet somebody, you know, um, um, uh, someone's uh, a potential mate uh, that's not even, maybe not even the church. Next thing you know, they move in and they're living together and they're still serving God. Well, I've got news for you. You already broke 
one commandment with God. There's no fornication. Come on. So if there's no fornication, then how is he going to bless the rest of the household you, you two are now living in? Well, God will just do it. God does this and God does that. God will not overlook your sin. God will not overlook your disobedience to him. But hey, you know better than the Bible, so go right ahead and do what you want to do. That was the snarky part I was feeling, praise God. In other words, I've been sent here to do what? I was sent, I'm here, am I your pastor? Well, yeah, I'm telling you as your pastor, this is what God sent for me to tell you what the word says, to remind you what he says, but, you know, just go ahead and do what you want to do anyways because it doesn't fit your narrative. When are we going to learn, especially Americans, that, that the word of God does not have to fit our lifestyle or our narratives? Whatever the book says, we've got to become obedient to it. Me too. There's things in here I don't like. Your struggle may not be my struggle, but I don't like love your neighbor as yourself when your neighbor is nasty. Come on. Love those who persecute you? No. Turn the other cheek? Oh, who are you talking to, Jesus? Amen. Right? We, 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 we all have things we got to work on. Amen? But I don't change it. That's, it's perfect. I have to change. I'm the one that has to do the changing. This is also a time of preparation for a new season and assignments that we receive, new se- assignments rather, that we see from God in our lives. Let me ask you, how many of you could use a brand new season in your life? How many is ready for a brand new season in your life, right? This is the time we get it. We're three months in advance of the rest of the team. The rest of the world don't know nothing about this stuff. So now we're three months in the future preparing, getting prepared for a new day and a new assignment and a new season. Rosh Hashanah means, means this. We studied this last week. It means head of the year. It means new beginning. It's where God promises a new season in our lives if we keep his appointment. Remember, the books are open. We studied that last week. That's a Jewish tradition. That's not the Bible, but it's a Jewish tradition that they understand that God opens the books And God determines your next 12 months in this season based on the degree of your obedience and sacrifice during this time. So my assignment this morning is going to be fun. We're going to walk through the word of God and reveal to you the incredible blessings that all of us have and that God has ordained for us during this season. I want to look at Leviticus chapter 23 verse 1. It says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast or my appointments of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation. These are my appointments. Also the 10th day of this month uh, shall be the day of atonement. It shall be holy, a holy convocation for you. And you shall afflict your souls, which just means self-denial. It could be food. It could be your mouth. It could be your relationships. You afflict your soul. I'm going, to de- I'm going to deny myself during this time, this 10-day period. And I'm going to offer an offering, okay, made by fire to the Lord. An offering made by fire was you give of something, of substance, and then it's burned in the fire. It's, irre- it's called an irrevocable gift or irrevocable giving. Once it's burned, can't get it back. It's done. Well, that was a waste. Well, it may seem like a waste to you, but it was an honor to God. God then honors what? Your faith. Always honoring your faith. So it's never, ever, ever a way. So this is the time where we see that God says, this is my appointment, not yours, but mine. 
Offerings are no longer blood sacrifices. We understand that. Uh, but it's still something that costs you something, right? It has to be something. Even David in the Old Testament, they were going to give him this threshing floor to offer to God to stop this terrible plague that was going on. At Ornan's, Ornan had a, a threshing floor. And uh, Ornan said, my king, it's yours. He said, no, 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 no. I cannot offer to God that which cost me nothing. I will pay for it. He said, in other words, he was saying, it has to be honorable. It has to come from my sacrifice. And so he pays Ornan this exorbitant amount of money to be able to own, to own all the implements and the farm and basically everything. He bought it all. And he offered to God and God stopped the plague, right? Because it's something that God requires. So sheep, thank God, and bulls uh, are no longer required to pay for the cost of sin or, um, or crops failing or whatever they may, it may be that God would require. Thank God we don't have to do that. The only time I want to, you know, sheep to be sacrificed is if we're having, someone's going to be cooking some lamb chops or something like that. That would be nice, right? But other than that, I don't, I'm, you're not going to see us carving some sheep up and pouring blood in the basil and sprinkling the altar. We're not going to do any of that kind of stuff anymore because that's not, matter of fact, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So where, where, where God, has, God has replaced it, there's no, there's no better replacement than the new covenant, right? So modern offerings and sacrifices are what we give financially to the house of God in the fulfilling of the vision God has given that church within that community. Okay, let me say it again. So giving modern offerings and sacrifice are not bowls and goats, but it is financial means that we can be a blessing to that house for the purpose that that house has in that community, not blood and not flesh. So what are the days of all all about? Well, it's repentance, which means a returning. It's a turning. Repentance is literally a 180. I'm going this direction. It's wrong. I do a 180. Some guys say, yep, you do a 360. No, 360 puts you right back where you were. <laughs> you want to do a 180, cut that sucker off at the half point, and go the other direction. So you're returning back to where you're supposed to be. Uh, repent also means top, top. So pent is penthouse. Repent. Go back to the top is where you belong. Okay? So I ask God for what? Forgiveness. That's the second part of this. Forgiveness and repentance uh, comes as an offer of my forgiveness. Uh, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry for my sin. Um, also, judgment comes. God will judge your enemies. We'll find that out in just a moment. Also, atonement comes. You're being atoned of your wickedness, your ways, your whatever, um, whatever seems to be between you and God. And then, of course, we, we at this time offer an offering unto the Lord. Next week, we're going to be doing the offering part as well. So we're asking people to pray about that. Church, here's the cool thing. There are seven blessings God offers his people during this season. If by faith they obey his ways. These seven blessings can be found in Joel chapter 2. Let me break it down for you. Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you the former rain faithfully. We've got to learn to get excited about what God has given us. It may not be there. The moment the rain falls from the sky, how many knows it takes a little bit to get to the ground? But it's already been given. It just takes a little bit of patience for it to drop to the ground. Well, get glad, get excited about the former rain faithfully. And he says, for he's given it faithfully. And he will, he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former and the latter rain 
in the first month. This is, this is not January first month. This is, this is September, October, but this is the season. This is God's first month of the year for this, okay? So get that in your spirit. So we're now entering 2023 with God right now, all right? So he said, you're going to get what? First and last month's rain. What is that called? A double portion. Who could use a little double portion in your life? I can't even help but smile on that one. This is where it gets exciting. So where God thought, you thought, hey, God, if I could just get that, I'd be blessed. How about God giving you that and then times it by two? All right? What interest, what's interesting is that God tells us how to receive the double portion in verse 15 through 17. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. Well, they did blow the trumpet last week. We didn't do it here, but the priests did in Israel. Consecrate a fast, that is denying ourselves. Call a sacred assembly. Well, we've done that. We have our church services. Uh, gather the people, done. Uh, sanctify the congregation, done. We've done that in prayer. Uh, assemble the elders. We do that every Tuesday night. Uh, gather the children and nursing babes. Uh, we, they're there right now. Let the bridegroom go out from his bride chamber and the bride from her dressing room. What that means is even if a wedding is planned, knock it out. We're not doing the wedding. Now, I know that's harsh, but that's what it says right there, okay, to do. In other words, God's trying to draw um, a line saying it's either all me or none of me. Either I'm the most important thing or I'm not. That's basically what he's saying here. Um, let the priest um, who, and, and the bride from her dressing room, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. I'm doing that. The elders are doing that. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. The nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? All right, look at verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me, turn to me with all your heart with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. I don't want you to look like you're repenting to me. I don't care how many tears you cry if it don't mean anything. I want, I want your hearts, man. I'm looking for this to turn towards me. Return to the Lord your God. Why? He is gracious. God's saying this about himself in the third person. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great as of great kindness. How many knows this to be true of our God? And he gives us chances. He's working with us. And he relents from doing harm. That word relent could also be repent in the sense that God's saying, whatever I said I was going to do because I'm angry with you, I won't do. I want to show you mercy. I just need you to turn to me. I need your attention. I need you to come back. Look what, what happens as a result of this. Verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and he'll pity the people. Wow, so we turn and God starts to do some healing. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and a new wine and oil and you'll be satisfied by them and I will no longer make you reproach among the nations but I will remove far from you the northern army and drive him away into a barren and desolate land with which uh, his face toward the, uh, with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up. In other words, he won't die out there. And his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Start getting excited, church. 
Why? Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the trees bear its fruit. Come on, get ready for your harvest. That's what we're supposed to do now, getting ready for our harvest. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. He will cause the rain to come down for you, the former and the latter rain. In the first month, I had to reread that so we had contact. This is so important. This is absolutely awesome. Why? Because we read firstly in this that our enemies are going to be stopped. In other words, number one, warfare stops in your life in this season. Isn't that good news? Whatever's been plaguing you, hounding you, could be on the internet, could be a family member, could be a banker, I don't know. But your enemies are going to cease from warfaring against you. Somebody say amen to that. I want that in my life. That's why I don't have to fight my battles. My God fights my battles. Also, second, we see that God, number two, God responds here. When we offer what he wants, there is absolute response from heaven, from God, who begins to fight your battles for you, setting you up for the future. And the third thing is this, the harvest comes, but not only does it come, it comes in a double portion. So get ready. What you're thinking is not big enough. It's too small. Get ready for God to begin to pour out a double portion. Church, to receive God's double portion and the other six blessings, we must live our lives in repentance, getting things right. He, he said to return to him. Like when you return your clothes to the store, why do you return your clothes to the store? Namely, probably don't fit right. It doesn't fit right. And the same is true with sin. It don't fit right. If it don't fit God, you must have quit. Somebody say amen. Amen. If your lifestyle don't fit his word, return. If your actions don't fit his will, return. If your goals don't fit his agenda, return. Make sure this is the time in the season you return back to God. If it doesn't fit and it's awkward, get rid of it and return it from whence it came. But get back to God. Come on. Number two. Uh, is financial abundance, the second blessing from God. Financial abundance. All of us could use that here in Milwaukee. I'm tired that every, the rent goes up, but the wages don't. How do we fix that? We can't fix it only in the natural. Natural don't always work. Then all of a sudden you, you're doing good and then inflation comes and knocks your, all your, 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 your savings down and 401ks and all that stuff goes and gets depleted. Why? Because we're trusting in man. But God has a system in his word financially that will never fail. But it takes trust. It takes faith. Back to Joel 2.24. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. Did you hear that? Say it one more time. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat. This is his blessing. This is his promise. You're not going to run out of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. In those days, that would have been the sustenance that they needed, not only for survival, but for thrival as well, thriving. So as a result of repentance, we open ourselves to an overflow and an abundance that God offers us over and over through Scripture. God shows us how to turn on cycles of financial increase in our lives, but we don't pay attention to them because we're like me, like you. We want to do things our way. 
We think we can cheat the system somehow and get away with it. Um, but God is the one who's set the system in place to begin with. And these are the laws that God placed in the earth. And I found out in scripture, you may not like this in your little religious mind, but I'm here to tell you, even if a non-believer works that system from God, he will become extremely wealthy and he will be extremely blessed. And you see it, you think, how did that happen? They're a heathen. Because somewhere they're working the system that God put in place. They're honoring the giving, the sowing in order to get the reaping. <laughs> Can't get around it. Malachi 3 says this so poignantly. It says, verse 7, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Well, there, that, that pretty much settles that. So guess who's got the change? All of you. Not me. But about most of you all have to, I'm just kidding. Everybody has to change. He's not going to change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O son of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Watch what he says here. Say it with me. Return to me. This is his requirement. This is the season that we do it. Return to me and I will return to you. Don't expect me coming to you first. I've given you everything. I gave my son. Return to me and I will return to you. And I'm everything you need, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So he tells them. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Tithe is 10% of your giving. Offering is the, the thing that God puts in your heart to give toward. You are cursed with a curse, for you have even robbed, you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me. Have you ever seen a scripture like this in your life, that God says, give me a chance. Try me. See if I will do this for you. If I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, empowerment to prosper, that there will be not room enough to receive it? This is like crazy. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Things that have been eating up your finances, you make $2 and something comes in and eats one. You make $3, something comes in and eats two. Always keeping you at the same level no matter what happens. That's a devourer in the spirit that needs to be broken. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your grounds, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. What he's saying, everything you plant is coming up. Nothing's going to get destroyed. You're going to get 100% of the crop you deserve, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. How is all nations going to call you blessed? They can't help but see how blessed you are. They're going to see it. So he said, well, I've been getting along just fine without tithing. I know that God's merciful. There's things that God will help you with and, and all that. And it's not like you're not going to go to heaven after all, right? You're still going to go to heaven. But that little bit of disobedience can keep you out of God's very best for your life. What is it that you really could be doing? What is it the kind of blessing you really could have from God working with you as you're obedient to what he asks you to do? And all he says is, try me. Just see if I'm able to do it. I want, I want, put me to the test is what he's saying. I want to prove myself to you. I want to show you that I'm able, I'm capable. I can take care of you. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So I don't look at that as some sort of obligatory thing that I've got to do from the Old Testament. I see that as a chance for me to get to obey God. 
and that his system will work for me. And that system is carried out into the new covenant as well. Remember, the atonement offering is to be done from the heart and it has to be done in faith. That's why you are to humbly ask God what you're to give during this season. Uh, we've over the past done certain things like you can give 100, 300, 500. Those are suggestions. But I don't come up here and say to you, uh, God spoke to me last night, so get ready, everybody. Everybody's to give $10,000. Whatever you got to do, go get it, or you'll be disobedient. Well, I would be a fool, and you would think I'm a fool. But even if I keep up here and say, everybody, God spoke to me last night, everybody's just to give $5, and that's all you're supposed to give. I'd still be a fool because it's not something I can get for you it's something you must hear God and you give as a free will offering from your heart, what you felt was what God was telling you to do. I always do say this, let it stretch you though. Let it be something of faith. That, that I'm stretching out my oh God and you get nervous and say, oh, here we go. And I have never seen God not come through with 30, 60 or 100 fold, ever. It happens every single time. And the moment you do it, the rain was released in that moment. All right, so Deuteronomy 16 says this in verse 16, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. There you go. You have Passover, Pentecost, and you have Atonement, those seasons. And they shall not appear before the Lord, these men shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give, watch this, as he is able Right? So that's, that's a free will offering. That's no one telling you what to do. So when you see these prophets out here, <sighs> Jesus, help me. And they come up and they say, uh, I got a special word for people right now, and, uh, but it's going to be $1,000. So the $1,000 line start over here, and God spoke to me for $500. i am supposed to have a word for you. You have it over here. That's the $500 line. And at the end they go, all right, we're ready to do some $100 uh, offerings now. I don't know who to blame first. The idiot saying it or the idiots doing it? I have to blame the idiot saying it because they're the, Lord, they're the, they're the one that's supposed to be an authority and they can, they can easily manipulate people's minds. That is not of God. You can give suggestions, but if you came up here and you didn't have a dime, you think I'm not going to give you the word of the Lord. If God gives me the word of the Lord, you're getting the word of the Lord. Period. Why? You can't buy Jeff Pruitt. I'm not going to be in your back pocket so you can manipulate and control me. No, sir. Right? I got stories about that, but I'll let it be because I'll probably get prideful about it. So, you know. But I can't be bought. Therefore, I can't say something like that. And again, it's not found in the word of God. Amen. Balaam was one that got, he was, no, that's another story. You pay him for a prophecy. And you know how his life ended up. God absolutely creates a culture of honor with his people. Giving shows honor. But it has to come from faith, and it has to come from your heart. This is the response of a grateful, willing heart. And as a result of that, your attitude will change your altitude. The truth is, I have found that people who give the least in the kingdom of God are people that complain the most. The only one giving me trouble about any offering, I haven't had that in years, taking offering and people say stuff. I used to get it a lot, a lot to it. It was like, just like, oh my God, say something else for crying out loud. Because when you know your heart, 
and you know what you're doing, it's like you're just speaking because it doesn't matter. You're not hitting anything because any, everything you're saying is not true. Um, and so, but they don't say as much anymore, but let me just say this. Those that complain the most about money, let's say they walk out of this church complain to you about, he's talking about money. They say that, I guarantee you, they ain't giving nothing anyways. That's always the, uh, the MO of a person that complains about money. They love to complain about it, but they never want to do anything with the money that God's given them. And so people will say, well, I wish we could do this or that in the church, but they won't give a dime to make the necessary changes in the church to make it happen. I wish we could help young mothers more often in this church, but won't give a cent to help us do it. Church wishing won't get it done. It will take finances to accomplish the great things God has for this church, and a bad attitude toward giving, giving only shows the true heart of the individual. It's only revealing who you are. Preaching pretty good. Is this thing on? Hallelujah. Number three, restoration. That's another blessing. Let me make this statement. We've been revealed. No, 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 no. no. Let me say this again. Whatever's been revealed to you will be restored to you. Whatever's been revealed to you will be restored to you. Whatever God shows you is what's going to show up in your life. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the chewing locust, and the, chewing, uh, and the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. Okay? So he's going to restore. God not only restores, but gives us restitution for damages as well. You can see that in the story of Jesus talking about the prodigal son, spends all his money, dad's money, a riotous living, partying, comes back, humbles himself to God, or his father rather, repents to his dad. I'm not worthy to be a son. Make me only a slave. I'm good to go. He said, are you kidding me? You were lost and now you're found. You were dead, he said, and now you're alive. He said, here, take my robe, take my ring, take my sandals. What's happening? He's not only being restored, restitution is coming to him. Let's throw my son a party because he's home. He never gets judged for the sin he did. Why? Because the first thing he asked for was forgiveness. He repents. And the father says, not even going to talk about that. You're back, and that's all that matters. It's time to turn back to God. Amen. Number four, miracles. Everybody say miracles. How many want to see some more miracles? Yes, yes. I'm almost done. Joel 2.26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. That means miraculously. Okay, miracles with you and my people shall never be put to shame. You need some miracles to happen in your life, don't you? Well, that's exactly what happened with Daniel in the lion's den. What did happen during the time of atonement? How about the three Hebrew boys uh, being thrown into the fiery furnace? When did that happen? The time of atonement. Children of Israel, you can go on and on and on and you'll see these things happening during the feast times. Some of you all might feel a little stuck like you've been detained. Let me make this statement. Detainment is not containment. You're not going to stay here forever. That's why we started out by saying, I'm coming out and so are you. God didn't take me out this far to leave me here. 
He wants to take me all the way in. He brought the children of Israel out, not to leave them in the desert, the wilderness, but to take them into the promised land. Detainment is not containment. God is not looking to contain you. He's wanting to set you free. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's time for you to get set free. Come on. How many of you need a miracle to show up in your life? Well, let's walk like it. Let's talk like it. Let's act like it. Let's sing like it. Let's clap like it. Yes. Number five, God removes all shame. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. The devil's always trying to condemn us, always trying to shame us, always trying to put us down. Joel 2.27, then you, they shall know that I am in the midst of you, Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God puts to shame the shame, come on somebody, and removes us from guilt, shame, and condemnation. We have been set free, especially now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number six, God touches the whole family, not just you. Isn't that good news? Everybody's getting something from your walk with God. Joel 2, 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on how many flesh? All flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on your men's servant and on my maid servant, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Somebody shout, I'm ready for the spirit. Come on. We've got to get back to reclaiming. If the Spirit of God has fallen upon our lives, we got to reclaim our marriages, reclaim our children, reclaim our grandkids, reclaim our churches, reclaim our city, reclaim our schools, reclaim our family. Come on! Look, our families need to be made whole again. Sometimes... You, can't, you cannot answer for the other person, but you can at least answer for yourself. So you, yourself, and God begin to make wholeness in your family. Number seven, finally, is deliverance. Joel chapter two, verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ha, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there should be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. God, church, is not only a restorer, but he is a deliverer. He is somebody who's going to undo the heavy burdens in our lives. And some of you have been in a cycle of destruction. You've been in a cycle of alcohol abuse or drugs, or pornography, cycle of just negativity. Everywhere you go, either you're the one being negative or people around you are being so negative. You know, you ought to be so filled with the word of God that when you walk into somebody's house that's negative or coffee, you know, Starbucks, whatever, or at work, that it's almost like your skin just crawls because it's like that's not how I view life. I, I feel good about God. I feel good about life. We have destiny. We have purpose because after a while, that stuff will rub up on you. Next thing you know, you're no longer praying. You're no longer in the word of God. You're no longer going to church. If you do, it's half-hearted. Sometimes there, sometimes not. God is coming to set the captives free. 